Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. The following sermon was preached in 1977 at the annual camp meeting held at God's Bible School and College in Cincinnati, Ohio. It was preached by Leonard Sankey, and it's a classic. It's a missionary message, and it's titled, Launch Out Into the Deep. I trust you will enjoy this classic message. I'd like to read a few verses of Scripture found in the book of Luke. When Brother Agin turned to the book of Luke this morning, I thought, uh-oh, boy, if he, if he shoots my balloon, I'm sunk. But he went ten chapters beyond me, Brother Agin. Thank you. We're going to stop with chapter 5 today, St. Luke chapter 5, where we want to read verses 1 through 11. St. Luke... 5, verses 1 through 11. Our missionary speaker this morning in the missionary service informed us that in Central America it is a custom to stand when we read God's Word. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in reverence to God's Word this afternoon. St. Luke 5. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the Word of God, he stood by the lake of Hennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when he had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all, and followed him. Our Father, we thank thee this afternoon for the wonderful privilege of being gathered together in this auditorium. We appreciate so much the sense of thy presence. 
We bless thy name. We exalt the name of Jesus. Amen. We appreciate all that thou art doing for us. We thank thee for this camp meeting, for everything that has been done so far, and everything that we believe that thou art going to do before this camp meeting is ended. Now for the few moments that are ours, we pray that thou shalt shut us alone with thyself. Lord, we pray that for a few moments thou shalt help us to forget about the activities of yesterday and what we want to do tomorrow and help us to obtain from thee today exactly what thou dost have for us. Touch my own mind and heart with that anointing which comes only from thee and rest upon this congregation. Touch minds and bodies that are weary and help us to think thy thoughts after thee and warm our hearts together. Oh God, bring us so close to thee that our hearts will be broken with the things that break the heart of God. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. The scene is a beautiful scene out of the life of Jesus. As we find him walking along the shores of Gennesaret or Galilee or Tiberias, three names that are given to this lake in the New Testament record. And it talks about a time when great crowds were following in the footsteps of the Master. The Scripture tells us that they came to hear the Word of God. And it's a wonderful thing when men's minds and hearts are awakened to an interest in God's Word. It's one of the saddest things in the world when men's minds are closed to God's Word. I think it's one of the most tragic pictures of our own country is that we have had so much and had so many blessings and yet materialism and secularism has pretty well closed the mind of the American people to God's Word. It hasn't been too long ago that traveling along with a businessman going towards the city of Cleveland, Ohio, that uh, we were discussing about his own spiritual need. And I was dealing with him and pressing him to get back to God and get back to the experience that one time he had known. He's backed up on a call to the ministry for almost 30 years and has lived a life of misery, not in the sense of material things because he's lived well materially. He's lived well as far as this world is concerned. As a matter of fact, his favorite expression is, if I'm going to do something, I want to go first class. But I tell him there's only one thing wrong with that. You're going first class. In your living, you're going first class. In your automobiles, you're going first class. In every area of your life except the area where it really matters. And you're leaving God in last place. And I was pressing this man, trying to get him to get back to God and to give his heart to Jesus Christ. And after almost two hours of talking with this man, he said, Leonard, there's only one thing that I can't reconcile with what you're saying. He said, you're trying to tell me that the most important thing in the world is for me to get back to God and get back to the church. You're trying to tell me the church and Christ is the most important thing in this world. He said, I work in a restaurant. I own a restaurant. I talk with hundreds of people every week. 
He said the one subject that never comes up is God and the church. And I thought to myself, here's a man who is getting the wide spectrum of what our life is today. He talks to businessmen, he talks to college students and high school students. And he says the only subject that never really comes up, that's the subject of God, the subject of the church. We live in a society that pretty well has blocked out God's Word. But thank God for those places and those people who are interested in God's Word. Thank God for every individual whose mind has been opened and whose heart has been warmed to the place where they are ready to open their hearts to God and to the truth of the gospel of Christ. It was our privilege to work on the north coast of Honduras for a number of years. And during that time, we were led to a village out some eight miles from the city of San Pedro Sula where we were living. And going to this village and visiting with these people introduced them the best that we could to the gospel of Christ. A number of them were saved. But we had a little period where the work slacked off and it didn't seem like we were getting through. And my wife became burdened about this village. And she said, Leonard, we're going to have to do something to get that work moving again. I'm, I'm concerned because it's been some time since anybody has been saved. And I said, uh, Janet, I, I don't know what we can do. I was already engaged in at least uh, 10 different places every week, visiting, trying to hold services in 10 different places. I said, I don't see how I can take on any more. But I said, you pray about it, and God will give you the way that you can reach these people. And she did pray about it. And God laid on her heart the, the possibility of beginning adult literacy classes in this village of Armenta. And uh, the classes were begun, and a number of people came to the classes who would not come to church. And through these literacy classes, they were learning to read, but what they were learning to read was the Word of God. And the Word of God entering into their minds and warming their hearts opened them up to more of the Word of God, and they became hungered. And I recall on that Sunday night, in the midst of a weekend meeting or at the close of a weekend meeting, it had become, begun a tropical rain during the afternoon. The rivers were already swollen from previous rains, and this afternoon it began to rain again. We were on our way to a little chapel up on the side of the hill in San Pedro Sula for a service that night. And along the way, we met a group of 17 people who had walked eight miles under that driving tropical rain had forded three rivers and three or four of the children had to be carried all of the distance from that village they came into our little chapel 14 feet by 21 feet wooden little shack that was just about to fall apart and of course they were dripping wet rain running off of their hair rain running off of their clothes, mud all over their feet. They came in and sat down. Most of those people who walked in were unsaved people, over eight miles through the rivers and through the rain to hear God's Word. They had been reached through these literacy classes. God had opened their hearts to the truth. 
And now they came to this Sunday night service of the weekend meeting. The preacher preached. He gave an invitation. And never will I forget, as long as I live, one man so dirty, clothes ragged, just a miserably poor man. He took his wife by the hand. He said, this is why we've come. Let's go. And he took his wife by the hand, the three children following them, and out of that seat they came with their clothes still clinging to their bodies, came up to that little table that we were using for a pulpit, knelt down and gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing when God can get through to a man or a woman or a boy or a girl and open their hearts until they're hungry for God's Word. Here were people who had come to listen to Jesus Christ, had come to listen to Him, great crowds, so that no synagogue in the area could have held them. So He was out along the Sea of Galilee, speaking to the people they pressed upon Him. Finally, He steps out into this little boat, pushes away from the shore, and begins to teach them. They listen, He finishes, and at the close of His discourse, Simon is spoken to by the master the one with divine authority the teacher turns to Simon and he said Simon launch out into the deep let down your nets for a draught Simon perhaps is like many of us in similar circumstances Simon began to tell the Lord how hard they had already worked that day Lord, we've worked all the night. All through the hours of the night we have worked and labored. And after the recounting of their activities of the night, he has to admit to complete defeat. We've taken nothing. We've taken nothing. But I believe that Jesus Christ is still turning to you and to me on this Thursday afternoon. And he's also telling us, as he did to Simon, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a draught. I believe that Jesus still wants some people who will be willing to launch out into the deep. After all, if we're going to be fishermen in the natural sense, you really don't catch too much in the shallows. Some mini minnows and some pollywogs and some crabs perhaps. But really if we're going to catch fish, we have to get out to where the fish are. And the master instructs us today, launch out, launch out into the deep. You say, Brother Sankey, what do you think he's referring to? I think that Jesus is instructing us today that if we are going to be fishers of men, we are going to have to launch ourselves into a deeper personal involvement in the matter of winning men and women to Jesus Christ. It has become pretty much of a forgotten concept among we holiness people especially that we as lay people sitting in the benches and the pews and the seats of our churches are personally responsible for bringing men and women to Jesus Christ. We have become such a totally pastor, evangelist-oriented people until we have lost all sense of responsibility. 
But I believe that if we are going to be fishers of men, we are going to have to become personally involved, personally participating in the matter of winning men and women to Jesus Christ. There are people that you meet and that you know that the pastor will never meet and know. There are people that you meet and know that the evangelist will never meet and know. Those individuals become our personal responsibility for involvement and participation in winning the lost to Jesus Christ. I believe it's Dr. Truett in his book, A Quest for Souls, who talks about Dr. Gifford from Boston. And Gifford preached a message to his congregation about this matter of soul winning and pressing upon his congregation the need of becoming individually and personally involved in this matter of touching men and women and bringing them to Jesus Christ. And after Gifford was done speaking, a lady came up to him and he said, she said, Dr. Gifford, I think that perhaps you have pressed your point too much. I'm a seamstress. Poverty-stricken, I never or very, very seldom leave my home. How can you hold me personally responsible for winning someone to Jesus Christ? It was in the days, of course, when many deliveries were made to the homes, the bread man and the milk man and the ice man. And so Gifford asked her if these individuals did not come to her house and she said yes indeed that's true and Gifford pressed upon her the need of being responsible for reaching those men and so she prayed during the hours of the night and she prayed early in the morning oh God when that milkman comes in the morning help me to be ready and help me to somehow reach that individual for thee and the milkman came and she went out to meet him and he was surprised he said uh, it's not normal that I meet you at this hour. No, she said, I just happened to be up. And she lost her courage. She didn't say anything. But on the inside, the desire had been born. And before the man walked out through the gate, she said, wait, wait just a minute, come back. I want to say something to you. There is a reason for me being here. And he said, what's that? She said, sir, are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And the woman, the man stepped back and he said, Woman, why do you talk like that? He said, Two days and two nights I have not been able to sleep. I have not been able to rest. I've been seeking for someone that could possibly lead me to Jesus Christ. And she had the joy in the early morning hours of winning that milkman to Jesus Christ. What I'm trying to talk to you about, you may never have a milkman that comes to your home, but what I am trying to say that each of us in our particular sphere of influence, we have individuals that we are teaching and we have, or that we are reaching and we have a responsibility for reaching them with the gospel of Christ. Andrew, when he came to Jesus Christ, the first thing that he did, he went back home he talked to his brother Peter. He brought him to Jesus Christ. And in just a few simple words, it points up three important concepts. First of all, the matter of reaching men and women for Jesus Christ. 
is an indication of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe a Christian has this kind of desire. I believe a born-again Christian has something that throbs in his soul that makes him want to reach somebody for Jesus Christ. It may be a good time for us to take a look at our own personal experience and see if we measure up in that particular respect. Not only that, but it points up the importance of home religion. I was thinking as I was praying for this service this afternoon, I wonder what would happen here on this Thursday afternoon if you and I who are represented here, if all of our direct loved ones were into the kingdom of Christ. Oh, how many of our moms and dads and our brothers and sisters and our sons and our daughters wander outside of the kingdom. What a wonderful place to begin this matter of being fishers for men, being in our homes missionaries. I tell you, I want my boy and I want my girls to believe that there's nothing greater in all the world than the religion and the faith of Jesus Christ. Somebody in my family indirectly related to, to our family. We were talking with them. They left a particular church and went to a formal worldly church. We talked with them. Why, why have you gone here? Why have you left the church where you grew up? And they said about a conservative church in a certain area, said we may not be right going where we're going, but we don't want our children growing up thinking that that dead, lifeless, juiceless expression of piety is real Christianity. I felt like a, a dagger had been plunged into my heart. I felt like something had struck me personally. Here's a church that I love. Here's people that I love, and yet here's somebody who's saying they don't want their children to think this is all there is to religion. Oh, I tell you, my friends, in our homes, if there's ever a place where we need to live the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and lead our own loved ones, it's exactly in that place. Andrew was a home missionary. And Andrew points up for us not only the necessity of having an expression of our experience, not only the necessity of working at home, but it also points out for us the importance of personal work. He went and he got a hold of his own brother and brought him to Jesus Christ. I believe that he's not only calling for a deeper involvement, but I believe that God, if we're going to be fishers of men, is calling for a deeper investment. Usually we talk about investment. People grab for their wallets. Ladies grab for their purses. Men grab their checkbooks. No, no, don't say anymore. You say enough about money. And true it is that we have to say a lot about money because this is one of the way that God's kingdom operates. We have to have, we have, to have money. God's Bible school needs money. God's Bible school missions need, needs money. These organizations that are represented here on the board and here behind me, these organizations need money. But I believe that way beyond an investment as far as our finances are concerned, I believe there has to be a deeper investment of our time in the work of winning men and women to Christ. I wonder what would happen if we not only tithed our finances, but tithed our time to the work of God. I wonder what would happen. You've heard the story of the Jewess who was visited 
for eight long years. Every Saturday. A lady from a church that we'd say, they don't have anything. They're worldly. And yet for eight long years, somebody from that church was knocking on that Jewess's door every Saturday. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Slam the door. The next Saturday, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Slam the door. The next Saturday, the same thing. Through long, long years, she visited until finally the Saturday afternoon when the door wasn't slammed. The door was open. And Jesus Christ walked into her heart. Sometimes I think that we holiness people are some of the laziest people in the world. We, we point our finger at the cults. We point our finger at these groups. We say they're false doctrines. We don't want to have anything to do with them. I don't want to have anything to do with them either. But I can tell you one thing. They put us to shame. Put us to shame. We send our young people through Bible college and we're still not sure whether we're really going to get anything out of them in God's work or not. I wonder what would happen if in our holiness churches, Brother Egan, we began to enforce like the Mormons do. Young man, young woman, at your own expense, you go at the orders of the church for two years. There you go. And there they go. You see them all over the world. We try to tie down our young people and our young people say, no, I want to choose my own way. I want to go where I want to go. Oh, would to God that out of God's Bible school some young men and some young women would be raised up with enough devotion and enough dedication that there wouldn't have to be any hesitation. There wouldn't have to be any hold back if God calls, Lord, here am I, send me. An investment of our time and our talents. I believe that we as parents have an investment to make in our children, if you please. Too often we allow our children liberty to choose in the one area where we ought to be guiding them the most. I've pictured a lot of times thinking about this matter of our children and I, perhaps I'm especially concerned because of my own children getting to the age where I'm concerned about where, where they're going to go, what, what route they're going to take. And I think, thought about mothers and dads, how they, they guide that child to learn how to walk. And the daddy sits down in a chair and holds on with his two fingers to the little hands of that baby and the mother just across a little space with her hands outstretched. Come, baby. Come, baby. And they work with that child. And if the child's limbs are normal, they work until that child knows how to, how to walk. We train them. And yet the Bible also tells us that we are to train up our child, our children in the way that they should go. And it seems to me that we can make a deeper investment in our boys and our girls, emphasizing to them the missionary atmosphere and the attitude which they need. Riding along with a missionary co-labor not too long ago on our way to Florida for a, for a missionary convention. He talked about the, ba the child Jesus in the temple at the age of 12. How his earthly parents finding him after some time came and said, Son, why have you treated us this way? And Jesus answered back, Don't you think it's about time that I be about my father's business? And this missionary colleague said something like this. He said, Sankey, 
it seems to me that as Christian parents, we should be able to impress our boys and impress our girls in such a way that by the time they're 12 years of age, they know that there's something to live for in this world besides houses and material things and possessions. And I thought to myself, oh God, there's my 12-year-old girl back home in Bedford. And as we rode along in the car, I said to myself, oh God, as a missionary and as a minister and as a Christian, have I been able to impress upon Beth Sankey something that helps her to realize that there's something to live for in this world besides the material things of life. I want to mention one other thing about this matter of launching out into the deep. I believe he's not only looking for a deeper investment and a deeper personal involvement, but I believe that it's going to take with us and from us a deeper intercession. If we fail any place, we're going to fail at the place of prayer. And this is the place where we have failed, if you please. I've been impressed reading after the men that we would call worthies of, other, of another day, good men, great men who have left their mark for God. Every one of them have been marked and etched by being mighty in the place of prayer. Bramwell Booth comes home after a service and finds his father striding back and forth in the hall of the home in London. Father, what are you doing? It's so late. What are you doing up at this hour? The people, Bramwell, the people, Bramwell. What do you mean, Father, the people? And the elder Booth breaks down, weeping the people, he says, the people are lost. Would to God that God would stir within us a revival of intercession. Would to God that a few more of us somewhere along the line could get a new grip on Gethsemane and the agonies which it takes to bring men and women to Jesus Christ. After all, before a child can be born, B-O-R-N, into the kingdom, he has to be B-O-R-N-E, born to Jesus Christ. And I believe that if we're going to be fishers of men, we're going to have to be mighty and deeper in intercession. During Easter week, just a few weeks ago now, Brother Rundell was in services in Santa Ana in the city, in the city of Santa Ana in El Salvador. And during Easter week, they had an all-night of prayer. Thirty people were there at perhaps 9, 30, 10 o'clock when the all-night of prayer began. And when the all-night of prayer ended at 5 or 6 in the morning, there were still 30 people there. But something had happened during the hours of the night. God had heard the cry of those 30 people as they agonized before him, before the throne. And out of that one night of prayer, God has raised up Bible studies and villages that hadn't been reached previously. And people have been won to Jesus Christ. And new works have been opened. Why? Because some people got a little deeper into intercession. This gets pretty close to all of us because there's so few of us that know anything about this particular area, but I submit to you, if we're going to be fishers of men, we're going to have to know something about intercession. Jesus said, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets. And I like what he said right at the end of that phrase, let down your nets for a draught. In, order, in other words, let them down expecting to catch something. Isn't that good? 
We many times let down our nets, but we really don't expect to catch anything. We say people really don't want it. And in a general sense, perhaps that is true. And yet we have to also contend with the words of Jesus who says the harvest truly is plenteous. And the false cults will tell us that the, that the harvest is plenteous. The Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that the harvest is plenteous. The Mormons will tell you that the harvest is plenteous. Not too long ago, they made a survey through Latin America to see the groups that were growing fastest, were getting the most people into their movement. And they found that there were three groups in particular that were gaining ground, that were growing. Those three groups were these. The Communist Party, the Jehovah Witnesses, and the Pentecostal churches. Do you know why? They came up with this axiom, this theorem, the church that, or the group that can best put its lay people to work is the group that will grow fastest. I wonder if that says anything to us about our churches today. I wonder if that says anything to us about our empty pews. I wonder if that says anything to us about our relative barrenness because so few of us are involved in the matter of winning men and women to Jesus Christ. If we're going to be fishers of men, we have to get rid of our indolence, out of, get rid of our laziness. We're going to have to recognize our individual responsibility, and we're also going to have to remember that there's an inheritance to receive. Let down your nets for a draught. Let down your nets intending to catch something, expecting to catch something. And after all, really it doesn't make any difference if we do live in 1977. The blood of Jesus Christ can still cleanse from all sin. It really doesn't make any difference. The songwriter wrote, and well, he should have written, dark the stain that soiled man's nature, long the distance that he fell, far removed from hope in heaven, near to deep despair in hell. But there was a fountain opened, and the blood of God's own Son purifies the soul and reaches deeper than the stain is gone. And it really doesn't make any difference if it does seem like the stain of sin is deeper in 1977 than it ever has been. I'm happy to tell you that the blood of Christ still reaches deeper than the stain is gone. Hallelujah. A young man in Salvador committed a terrible crime. He murdered a little girl, was convicted, sent to jail, sentenced to die. While he was in jail, he heard our radio broadcast there in the city of Santa Ana. And when the program was ended, they gave an address where people could write for a free correspondence course. He wrote in, he took the lessons. Through the lessons, he was saved, one to Jesus Christ, just a few days before he was going to die in front of the firing squad. When the time of his execution came, this young man who, even in those few days, had been mightily used of God in that penitentiary in Santa Ana. He had started a Bible study group with something like 30 or 35 people, and most of those men had been won to Christ through the testimony and the influence of this convicted murderer. When the time of his execution drew near, he made two requests of the warden of the penitentiary. He said, Sir, I'd like for you to give me permission to dress in white. And I'd also like for you to give me permission to carry my Bible when they shoot me. 
The warden said, why? Why do you make this kind of request? He said, sir, when I came into this prison, my heart, my heart was full of, full of hatred and bitterness and anger. Said, my heart was so dark and so benighted. But he said, sir, since I've been in this penitentiary through this book, I've met Jesus Christ. My life has been changed. My life has been transformed. And even when I die, he said, I should die. I've committed a terrible crime. But he said, even when I die, I want to leave a dying testimony that there's power in the gospel of Christ to take the worst sinner and to change that sinner and to make him ready for heaven. Hallelujah. Well, Simon said, we've worked all the night. <clears throat> we've caught nothing. But he also said, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. We need that divine leadership. We need that divine direction so that we can say, Lord, it really doesn't make any difference about a board or no board as long as it's the Lord. The Lord instructs us yet, I will make you fishers of men. Launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a draught. He instructs us, as we read over here, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. He instructs us, go ye. And when he tells us to go, he doesn't send us empty-handed. He sends us with this glorious message of the gospel of Christ that still is redeeming and transforming and changing men and women <coughs> around the world. He incites us to go. I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth, that you should bear fruit, that your fruit should remain. I wish I could talk to you about Said in, in Cairo, Egypt. Eight years the church has been in existence. There hasn't been a night in eight years, but what the church has not been opened. Recently in revival services every night, averaging over 500 people and a number of people were one to Jesus Christ through this young man who has been dedicated to the work of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us to launch out into the deep, to let down our nets. And when he does, he ensures success. He ensures success. There is a harvest. I sent you to reap is what Jesus said. I sent you to reap. In 1977, the harvest fields are still ours. Until Jesus comes, the harvest fields are still ours. You look at this blackboard, and you're looking at a representation of the mission field, the harvest field that's open. You look at these men and these women behind me on the platform, and they represent to us the mission field that is open. And this is where all of us come in. You have your participation in the homeland, in giving of your time and your effort to win others to Jesus Christ. But you have your participation around the world by the giving of your prayers and the giving of your finances that these and others like them around the world can bring men and women to Jesus Christ. The opportunities are ours. Sister Henry this morning was talking about that Hurricane Fifi in Honduras a little village outside of San Pedro Sula called Choloma. A man had come to Brother Gellerman, our missionary in San Pedro Sula, and said, Brother Gellerman, we've been listening to the radio broadcast 
We like what you're preaching. We want you to come and have services. There's a number of us who have been listening and we're interested in your kind of ministry. Would you come? Brother Gellerman was having a difficult time getting accustomed to the Spanish language. He said, I already have classes. I already have services. I, I just don't feel like I can come. We had to shut the door as far as human possibility was concerned. Hurricane Fifi came just a few weeks later. And the rains fell up in the mountains in between Honduras and Guatemala. And tons of dirt and boulders and trees came pouring out of the mountains, flooded into the rivers, and came down to this village of Choloma. There at the village of Choloma, there was a highway bridge. <clears throat> and this mud and these trees and these boulders formed a dam across that bridge. The people, the law enforcement officials went around to the homes in the middle of the night. It looks like the dam is going to overflow. You better get out of your homes. You better get out. It looks like the dam's going to overflow. Most of them stayed where they were. And that night, in a few moments of time, 3,000 people out of the 6,000 people who lived there were swept out into eternity. People that we might have reached had the finances been there, had the personnel been there, that the opportunity was there, but we couldn't walk into that open door. One of the tragedies of our day is that doors are open. I know that there are closed doors, but there are also open doors, and it behooves us to pray and to give and to go as we've never prayed, as we've never given, and as we've never gone to get into doors that are open today. I will make you fishers of men. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that thou shalt take these words this afternoon. Let them pierce into our hearts like an arrow. We pray that thou shalt shake us out of our indifference and out of our lethargy and out of our laziness and help us, Lord, to bend ourselves to the task of winning men and women to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. I don't want to take for granted